1: what is up everybody welcome inside the guilty is charged podcast my name is steven i uh, am back from my one episode hiatus from sunday afternoon evening so uh good to be back about to uh talk some ball with my guys tyler and alex uh alex we'll start with you man how you doing tonight
2: uh you missed a barn burner of an episode <laughs> steven uh, by that i mean you didn't miss much so welcome back
1: Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a shitty day for everybody. Uh, I got a speeding ticket. I shared this in the Discord, but uh, got a speeding ticket on top of uh, having to witness that performance in person. Um, So it's been, uh, it was a a rough Sunday for us, uh, for sure. Uh, Tyler, what's up, man? How you doing tonight?
3: Well, Steven got a speeding ticket and I don't have one. Score one for Asians everywhere. (laughs)
1: this is my first ticket too by the way i've never i had never gotten a speeding ticket well, how fast were you Sunday. going huh
3: how fast were you going
1: i was only going 79 because we saw uh we saw chp the entire way down and so i was like okay i'm not going to speed that much because obviously like you have to keep up with the flow of traffic and sure you know, yeah. I, I don't want to be in the slow lane so i had my cruise control at 79 and you know i'm like we're so close to getting out of the grapevine which if you know the area you obviously know <laughs> chb loves to camp out at the bottom of the of the grapevine and so there's like a little hill up and so my cruise control like starts cranking up a little bit and then uh i noticed that i start going past like 81 82 83 uh once i start going downhill and so i started breaking and when i noticed the cop which was probably like 50 yards in front of me at that point, I was back to like 79, 78 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And then the cop pulls over, pulls me over and was like, oh, I clocked you at 89 miles per hour. I was like, what the fuck? No, you did not. That's bullshit. No way. Uh, I, didn't say like that. I didn't say it like that, obviously. But uh... <laughs> um, Brooke was like, can you give us off? Can you give us a warning? Like we're headed to a game. Steven's never gotten a ticket before. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out. No, but it's okay. it doesn't. Were you driving the Sequoia? i was yes who pulls over a sequoia wow. i know <laughs> it's largely considered like a mom car which is fine yeah. but um i was like man so he goes back to his car obviously it takes forever to fill out the ticket which always freaking happens and then he's like i only gave you a ticket for 70 miles per hour i'm like what the hell you're gonna be lenient to give me a five mile per hour ticket it was ridiculous Jeez. Anyways. Yeah. Out of
3: curiosity, what was the turnoff for Chargers fans? Michael Lopez is saying it was 85 to 90% Chargers fans?
1: Yeah, so the stadium was not 100% full. I will say that. It it felt about 80% full. Um, You know, uh, shout out to Simon. Appreciate the the super (laughs) chat there at the CHP. (laughs) Honestly, though. So um, it was, I mean, there were not a ton of Jaguars fans there. Obviously, there were a few. I saw a, a few Blake Bortles jerseys and a few Trevor Lawrence jerseys and um you know did not see any Devin lloyd jerseys which i was i was disappointed about um but yeah it was it was like 90 Chargers fans it was just was not super full awesome so cool i'll, I'll take it. it it was a very quiet nfl game though it was probably the quietest football game <laughs> i've ever attended in person uh which was uh, uh, obviously an indictment of the actual result, but it's okay yeah all right. Well, we are, uh, you know, obviously here to preview the Chargers upcoming matchup with the Houston Texans. We'll get to revisiting their offseason here in a little bit, of course, as has been the case for the like the last few weeks. Have to do some injury updates first and foremost. Uh, so Rashawn Slater and Joey Bosa both placed on injury reserve today. Uh, Jalen Guyton was placed on injury reserve yesterday. So Guyton and Rashawn Slater, their seasons are over. Their injuries are season-ending. There's some conflicting timelines going out around Joey Bosa's injury. Um, Ian Rappaport seems to think that it should be about six weeks, uh, which would have his first game back being the Niners on Sunday Night Football, which would be uh, pretty fun, you know, obviously getting to go against his uh, brother that week. So um, those were the... In terms of injury reserve, those were the updates. Um, On the good news, I guess, if you want to have a little bit of silver lining this week, uh, Keenan Allen, Corey Lindsay, J.C. Jackson, and Donald Parham all returned to practice today in a limited fashion. Um, Sounds like most of them probably have a good chance of playing this week, although I feel like J.C. is probably the uh, least certain. So um, that's the injury update. Of course, we have to talk about uh, the situation surrounding the left tackle spot. So, Tyler, we'll start with you. Uh, Jamari Sawyer is officially the starting left tackle going forward. Um, we'll start, first and foremost, your thoughts about him and that decision to play him, uh, and then uh, really kind of what this means uh, from a wider lens. But first and foremost, your expectations for Jamari Sawyer uh, as he Ooh. starts in place of Sean Slater. Expectations. Well... <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of one of the best tackles in the league and the worst
3: tackle in the league, somewhere <laughs> almost by default will be Jamari Salyer. I kind of went through our old notes. I went through our draft coverage or pre-draft coverage, I should say, of Salyer. Just what were we thinking about him? And I think we all agreed that that was good as a tackle. Like, even even pretty good as a left tackle in college. It just maybe wasn't what he'd be best suited for in the NFL and teams felt that way and that's fine. And I think he is eventually a guard in the NFL and we'll stay there as far as expectations. I don't know what the chargers like. Okay. So Brandon Staley in his press conference said, okay, now that we've had three games, really like two games of storm Norton, we're now able to make the decision that he, we need to make a change. And I'm thinking, yes. Okay. Yes. In this current season, as he currently is, as a potentially improved player. You did only have three games, really one and a half games. But how did you not see the entire, I don't know, last year? Basically, it's all 17 games to already know this decision. If you are losing your job to the backup swing guard, then why are you on the team? Like, no offense to Storm Norton, but why would he be on the team? Anyway, my expectation for Jamari, though. I don't know. I I really don't know if this was the plan the entire time. I'd feel better, but they literally are just like, well, we really screwed up with that storm Norton decision, so let's go with Jamari at left tackle because he's got some experience there and and it literally couldn't be worse, but I, I, I don't know what to expect from him because you know, I feel good about him just watching him like we watched left tackle tape to evaluate him for the most part and it was good. But they've stuck him at left guard, right guard, and even like for a day, right tackle. But there's been zero plan for left tackle this entire time. And also, they're going, okay, good luck. And we'll talk about the Houston players later. You're playing left tackle, and potentially in a week, that's Miles Garrett. So, what am I? I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about his prospects. All I know is, and Alex pointed this out on Twitter as well no matter what, you couldn't have let Storm Norton back out there at left tackle unless you absolutely just had to. Because he was bad last year, and he's shown you, thankfully, very quickly, I guess, that he's awful. And I think you said, Steven, it was the worst pass blocking efficiency grade since 2018 in one half. <laughs> uh, eight pressures in one half, not great. So I, I'm I'm rooting for him. I don't know what my expectations are for him, other than worse than Slater and better
2: than Norton. Yeah. um, I don't know my expectations for Jamar but they didn't really have any other choice like at this point you could not throw Storm Norton back out there and do like the whole 14 games again with (laughs) Norton and Pipkins left tackle right tackle like it just it just wouldn't have worked. Maybe you could have gotten by the Houston game and then you know he has like a game like he did against the Giants or the Chiefs or two or three pressures but you always know that 9-pressure-11-pressure game is coming when it comes to Storm Norton. Um, And we saw it at multiple points last year. So, I mean, we already know what he is. Um, I want to call him fine depth, but, like, he shouldn't have been on the team. And also, they don't view him as depth this year. So, at that point, I I still don't know why he's here. But it's very clear that they view him as the in-a-pinch kind of starter during a game. But they don't view him as good enough to start one of these games um at this point so i don't know what my expectations for jamari are but i mean it it was just the numbers every analytic and numbers said that you could not start storm and so i was tempted to see how they would approach this and so for them to throw jamari out there when i did kind of think for most of the week like it's just going to be the Telesco Staley. Let's throw Norton out there because he was competing for the job in the offseason. And I really did think they were going to do that. So um, maybe this is just a subversion of my expectations. But uh, I'm happy to see that they're trying something different. They could have you know, gone out of house and, and gotten maybe some kind of you know left tackle. But for, for what it is, this is probably the best option that they have on a short-term basis. If Jamari falters or, you know, uh, they go back to Storm and he falters, then maybe you consider like a an out of house kind of option and, and go to free agency. But for now, I think that this is the best decision they can make. It um, d- didn't feel super great about Tyler saying that, hey, your second week is starting. You have to go play Miles Garrett. Um, that, that could be potentially uh, we're not we're not super positive about him playing next week. Right. Oh, that's true. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know, um, how all that will go in these first couple weeks, but, um, this was probably the best decision the Chargers had out there. And there was just no organizational way that they could have defended starting Storm Norton again.
1: Yeah, that the only wrong choice in this situation was to roll with Storm Norton. Like the, that was the only wrong choice here was to, uh, watch what happened on Sunday and, you know, I uh, did not watch the whole fourth quarter in the game. I left early because I was just super annoyed and, and frustrated. Um, I normally do not leave games early. So that's that tells you what kind of state of mind I was in. Uh, so I went back and watched the film yesterday and saw some good things from the other players. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, Slater gets injured and you could just, you know, I, I, was, I was on the opposite end zone of me. So I, I didn't get like a good look of what happened and just you know, brutal situation, right? And then storm comes in. And granted, they were pass blocking at like 90 at a 90% clip at that point in the game cuz they're trying to come back for whatever reason. But man, he had the worst performance that PFF has charted since 2018 from any offensive tackle. He's played 65 snaps and he's fourth in the league among tackles and pressures allowed at this point. His pass blocking efficiency rating is by far the worst in the league. And so I think that this charger staff deserves some credit for saying, Hey, this isn't working. We're going to pivot away from this as opposed to, you know, kind of just rolling with the punches because Alex and I both kind of shared similar sentiments that, you know, maybe after the buy week or maybe closer to the trade deadline, you can maybe find a starter over storm Norton at that point. And that's really kind of where this was headed. So, um, that's how they've operated in the past was just kind of the, the next man up and regardless of the situation, and uh, now they pivot to Jamari Sawyer So I think they certainly deserve some credit, but it's, it's a, such a frustrating situation because he is a rookie player and typically the way that this staff approaches offensive line is like, okay, we're going to find you a home. We're going to let you practice at that position, get comfortable at that position, and then we're not going to Risk your development because of other things happening around you or around the offensive line. That's what happened with Brennan. That's what ha- that's what has happened so far with Brendan Hymas. That's what has happened uh, with the cornerbacks. You know they they do not like to risk player development for the sake of dealing with injuries. So I was not expecting them to go to Jamari Sawyer. So I I, w- I really was not. I if they were going to make a change other than Norton, I was thinking maybe. They switch Pipkins to the left side. Maybe they put Sawyer at right tackle or Matt Filer at right tackle. So I, I'm happy they didn't just write it out with Storm Norton, obviously, but I am excited for Jamari. I think this is a huge opportunity for him, but I am nervous. <laughs> I do not have like a ton of confidence in him being successful. And I know that that is not going to be, you know, exciting to listen to, but. I think you're going to have to have relatively the same approach that you would if Storm Norton is playing. You're going to have to chip. You're going to have to double team. You're going to have to limit the playbook. Um, and obviously you think he holds up better in those situations, but you know, this is not like they're going to insert a player who they are comfortable with leaving on an island and uh, you know allowing him to just say, hey, <laughs> go block even uh, Jerry Hughes this week, I think is going to be a tough matchup for him. So they're going to have to scheme help for him. They're going to have to uh, mitigate the risk in terms of his athleticism because I think that he certainly has a lot of good traits, right? But I he doesn't have the natural athleticism length and range that you typically want in a NFL left tackle. So they're going to have to really kind of condense the playbook and, and play to his strengths, but it's still better than rolling with Storm Norton. So I'm happy for him. I'm excited. I hope he balls out, obviously. But it's a lot of like nervous, excited energy at the same time.
2: What percentage of this decision was related to Filer's struggles recently is one of my questions that I have. Um, Because, I mean, we sort of just talked about it all season. Potentially moving Filer to right tackle. Potentially moving Filer to right tackle. And they don't like changing positions. But then again, they're changing the position of Jamari (laughs) Sawyer right now. Right, so yeah. I'm I'm curious if these first three weeks made them kind of pump the brakes on potentially doing that in an emergency, you know, situation like this.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly think that some of Matt Filer's issues are correctable, and you know, he's being credited with a, a decent amount of pressures coming out of stunts and games that are are, are frankly just not being communicated at a super high level but Roy Robertson Harris kind of took his lunch on Sunday and so did Chris Jones the week before that. And Bilal Nichols the week before that. So he's, he's struggling. He's not going to do, I don't think he's going to get back to the same level as 2021, but I do think he can still become a a serviceable guard again. Um, you know, once they kind of figure out the rotation a little bit more. Um, but I think if you are looking at this from a wider lens, like I, I don't see how you keep Filer after the season. I think that Obviously, Jamari has to earn his spot, right? But if Jamari plays well at left tackle, I think you feel good about him being the left guard of the future. So, um, you know, I do think that Matt Filer's struggles have absolutely played a part in the way that they have decided to do this. Because if he were playing great, if he were feeling, you know, at his best, I think you move him to right tackle, you move Pipkins to left tackle, I think that's a pretty easy switch. But because Filer's not on top of his game, you can't move a guy spots when he's already in a funk, you know, you, you, and he hasn't played right tackle for two years. So um, you got to get Matt Feiler back on track where he is comfortable, which has been left guard.
3: Yeah. And I just want to see him again with Corey Lindsley. Like give me, you know, more than a game and a half with Corey Lindsley and make sure we're like, maybe it's just, I don't know. Things just work better when they're together. I don't know. Uh, of course, shout out my mom and dad for these super chats. Thank you very much. Do you feel Matt Feiler's issues are they similar issues he's maybe had before, and they're just at a higher frequency this
1: year, or do you feel like they're new issues and something that he's, or at least compared to last year? No, I feel like it's it's same issues. I've never felt like Matt Feiler has been a super efficient mover with his pad level when it comes to pass setting. You know, he's a tall guard, like he's six six, like that's a very tall guard in the NFL. And some of those issues are being exposed from a leverage standpoint. And so last year, he was really able to kind of uh, fight that battle with really elite hand placement, in my opinion. Um, And that's just not really happening right now. So hopefully, you know, he's able to kind of figure this out and and get back on track. But um, I think you absolutely have to be concerned about Matt Feiler right now. man. But we'll see what happens. The way that Brandon Staley was talking about this situation makes me think they could be open to signing or trading for a left tackle down the road because it wasn't like Sawyer's our guy for the whole season. It was like, Mm -hmm. he's our guy for now. Yeah. When is the trade deadline compared to their buy? Do we know? I think the deadline is the week after the buy or the week before maybe hmm because the buy is week eight yes i don't know i think it might be after um yeah i think it might be after but we'll see i mean eric fisher is still around Darryl williams is still around so I, I think we we shouldn't rule out the possibility of them uh signing somebody else or, or making some kind of addition mm-hmm. down the road do you think with the
3: switch to Jamari let's say they only have internal options because Telesco doesn't he hasn't made you know in in season trades like this so let's say they only go in-house is it Jamari the rest of the way then
1: I think it has to be I don't think they have another option like I mean like I said they could move Pipkins but um, this is why I wanted you know them to pick up another kind of tackle at some point so like you said man like if Storm Norton is not even playable why is he on the roster? Like, I I don't get it. Like, you had to have seen this coming at some point where, you know, you, you have confidence in Pipkin's developing, sure, and he's played well. I do think he has played well and really kind of finding his groove at right tackle. But, you know, you were he- comfortable heading into the season with Storm as your swing tackle. And now three games into it, you've seen enough to take a six-round pick who really shouldn't have been a six-round pick, but he was. And you're playing him at guard, and now you're switching him back to left tackle. So just cut Storm at this point, man, and go find somebody else. Like, all these other teams are making these proactive moves and offensive tackle. The Jets have signed three offensive tackles this week. And the Chargers Jeez. are like, uh, six-round pick. We're good.
2: My uh, favorite hypothetical trade target in Andre Dillard will be back by week five. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh
1: there are a lot of rumors about Riley Reef. Obviously, the Bears not playing him right now. Um, obviously somebody that is connected to the coaching staff through Ryan Ficken fits mm-hmm. a lot of the schematics, so he would be pretty cheap. I think he's more on an incentive based uh contract right now. So I, I think that's probably where I would lean at this point, or sign Eric Fisher if you wish. But Okay, so we have to move on to Joey So We've already talked for 20 minutes, but um, Joey obviously out for potentially two months, potentially six weeks, potentially longer. We don't really know. A lot of that is gonna, obviously going to be determined on how he recovers for uh, the rest of the season. So on Sunday, uh, after Joey went down, it was essentially a 60-40 split between Chris Rumpf and Kyle Van Noy. So last year, I felt like it was more of like a, 70 30 rotation with Uchenna and Wosu and Kyler Fackrell. So they're going to play Kyle Van Noy a lot behind Chris Rumpf. I think that's the right decision to really kind of balance the two of them out. Obviously, that also has adverse uh, effects on the linebacker rotation because that's been kind of, you know, a full on split there. So, uh, Chris Rumpf, man, like Brandon Staley expressed a lot of confidence in him today and he's got to step up. Like, there's no other way around it. Um, had zero wins on Sunday against the Jacksonville Jaguars, according to pro football focus. So he's like, there's, they don't have another choice. Like they have to get more out of Chris Rumpf or their pass rush is frankly doomed. Like they, they were not able to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence at all on Sunday. And they were blitzing him at like 42% of his snaps. So um, guys have to step up. There's, there's no other choice. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The guys have to step
3: up. I, I was honestly not shocked after watching the game, but still shocked based on everything we've been hearing. And I think we all felt good about both these guys as Edge three, Edge four, you know, now Edge two, Edge three. And to see that there was only one pressure between those two guys on 33 snaps, and it was not even a really a pressure; it was just a cleanup pressure because Lawrence bailed or whatever it was after five seconds. That was tough because. I mean, I, I, I hate to keep doing this, but we've always felt after the draft like you needed to draft a premium position guy. One of them was tackle. Look at the problem now. One of them was wide receiver. Look at the problem now. One of them was edge. Look at the problem now. And they didn't. And so now they're having to force these different guys to kind of step up. And I don't, you, I mean, you said it best. Somebody has to step up. And I felt like that, you know, last week because the team just needed some guys to step up, but now they literally have to. Like Chris Rumpf. He got his kind of not red shirt year because he did have to play a good bit, but he got enough time to develop enough. He was a fourth round. Yes, fourth round pick. And, you know, supposedly he bulked up. He's asparagus status and <laughs> supposedly he's been great. But right now, like very small sample size. so I don't want to make anyone, you know, upset by saying this, but like. He's kind of a preseason bully right now. He's not showing up in the regular season. Like, that's great. I'm glad at the scrimmage against the Chargers last year, you had three sacks versus Tyree St. Louis at left tackle. But like, let me see it in the regular season and it didn't happen. And again, this offseason, watching the preseason, oh my God, look at the transformation of Chris Frumpf, and it had zero wins against the Jaguars on Sunday. So we gotta see more out of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, then that goes back to like the domino effect for the rest of the line. Because if you don't want Khalil Mack to be effectively quadruple teamed, um, you know, then you've got to get something out of Chris Rump. you got to get something out of Kyle Van Noy. Um, and really everyone, you know, the interior guys as well. Otherwise, you know, the pass rush is not going to work. And you're already trying to replace Joey Bosa with Chris Rumpf, um, which provides yeah. its own set of problems considering the skill set of, of Joey Bosa. So, um, yeah, really unfortunate injury along with the Rashawn Slater one. And just goes back to kind of what Tyler said, which is just investing at premium positions which is just something the Chargers didn't do too much during the draft, which is what is biting them now.
1: Yeah, so, you know, this is this is a tough situation. I mean, obviously, there's a pretty big drop-off from Rashawn Slater to Jamari Sollier at this point, who we know is, is going to be starting. But, you know, Joey Bosa, I know the pressures and the sacks are not, like, showing, but he was his pass rush win rate right now is 25 and a half percent which is like an elite elite number like Joey is winning at such a high level and that forces a lot of the cleanup sacks that we that we've been talking about so um they're really going to miss Joey Bosa and you know this is not like we're talking about an interior pass rush that has a ton of great players either that they can like hey like this guy can pick up the slack so Morgan Fox has been good. He's definitely their best interior pass rusher at this point. Um, You're talking about six pressures, one sack, and a win rate of 14.5%, which is is pretty good. I think it's hovering around the the top 20 range in terms of interior defensive linemen. But they have gotten nothing out of Jerry Tillery. Like, literally nothing. His pass rush win rate is 2.8% right now. He has one pressure, zero sacks, zero hits. So this is a dire situation in terms of the pass rush. They have to, you essentially have to play perfect run defense and then be able to crank up your blitz rate because they're at uh, 25% right now, which is about 18th in the league. So if you are playing really, really good run defense, which they're okay, like even after Sunday, they're, they're still about, you know, I think 12th in, Run DVA and success rate and things like that. So, if you're able to play good run defense, then you can crank up Derwin James, crank up the blitz packages, and they should be decent in terms of pass rushing. Like, that's the best case scenario right now without Joey Bosa. Like, they just don't have other players who are capable of winning one on ones consistently outside of Khalil Mack and Morgan Fox at this point.
2: Bold prediction. win rate for Jerry Tillery this week
1: like like I I just I'm at a loss for words like this is this is unreal man you lose arguably the best left tackle in the AFC and arguably the best pass rusher in the AFC in the same day to potentially season any injuries it's just unreal and Tom Telesco man like he's going to have to change like they do not have a choice if they are still seriously about contending in the playoffs and winning playoff games they have to make additions to this team they cannot roll this group of defensive linemen out and expect to be at the same level of defense as they were hoping heading into the season like there's just no way losing joy bosa does so much for your defense that you have to make a trade midseason or you know sign somebody else like you need reinforcements.
3: Hmm. You know, sometimes you Google things to make a joke, like for Jerry Tillery's low pass rush uh, win rate,
1: and then you see that Sebastian Joseph Days is worse at zero. Yes, but he's, a, he's <laughs> a run defender. So, like, I mean, I wish there were more there. I do, but that's not his job. Jerry Tillery's job is to be a pass rusher, and he's got a 2.8% win rate.
3: I think the team's cursed since they cut Fahoko, but that's just me.
0: (laughs) We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. they were
1: one 0 no with him on the team just say yeah yeah all right well we uh, spent 30 minutes talking about uh, injuries and stuff like that so let's dive into the texans here um and then we will be able to uh talk about a uh, more uh, precise preview of this game so um right. hold on
3: there was it was cursed i kept trying to share it and it kept glitching on me so i'm going to have to share it as my screen and then switch to slideshow
1: there we go (laughs) i have to say i the the thumbnails of course you know you had to put rex burkhead in there didn't you oh oh yeah that was the first google search i did (laughs) for that thumbnail Mm all right uh let's dive into these uh houston texans all right cool so obviously uh they have made a few changes on the coaching staff. I feel like they brought a lot of last year's staff back. Uh Lovey Smith currently working as the head coach and defensive coordinator. So uh, I was not aware they didn't have an actual defensive coordinator uh until today. So uh the Texans defense is is fine. It certainly has its weaknesses, right? But uh what you're going to get out of Lovey Smith is a lot of Tampa 2, cover 2 looks. Um, He's very old school in that regard. Uh, Cover 2 is very in vogue this season, and so he's just living his best life over there in in Houston. Um, Run defense is definitely a concern there. They're one of the worst run defenses in the league. Uh, But outside of that, I really like what they do from a pass rush standpoint. I like what they do from a coverage standpoint. Obviously, they have Derek Stingley, who I'm sure we'll talk about. He's traveling with number one receiver so far. So Uh, as Tyler has on here, their defense 15th in EPA per play, 17th in DVOA. I think if you're Houston and you look at a a league average defense, you're probably pretty happy with that given where they have been in the past. Uh, So obviously our guy Pep Hamilton is the offensive coordinator, really not off to a great start. 29th in EPA per play, 30th in DVOA. (laughs) I saw this really funny stat from Nate Tice that uh, there's like four quarterbacks in the league who have yet to scramble like at all. And Davis Mills is one of them. So wow. um, lots of pocket passing concepts for Pat Hamilton. Um, they don't really have a great run game, which of course means they're probably going to go off against the Chargers this week because that's how this works, I guess. Um, but lots of old school, traditional West coast concepts out of pep, which we are very familiar with again. Um But it's not like it's going super well in Houston this year from an offensive perspective. Uh, Special teams, though, looking great so far. Second in DVOA for the Texans with Frank Ross. This is his second year on the staff. I mentioned lots of holdover from last year for whatever reason they just decided that uh, Colin was the primary culprit and they fired him and uh, moved on to uh, Lovey Smith. So that's the uh, Chargers or the Chargers. That's the Texans coaching staff in a
2: nutshell. You said uh, Davis Mills had zero rushing attempts so far this year? Zero scrambles. Zero scrambles. Get ready for him to pick up five third and shorts. uh, Just (laughs) running the ball. Because that's what happens to the Chargers all the time.
3: Yeah, I mean, unless they give it to Rex Burkhead. Because I think he had like 100 yards going into the game. And left with like 350 last year. So, you know, just everyone, everyone feasts. We get guys paid. Alrighty.
2: Let's go to the free agency. Yeah. Um, I mean, Steven Nelson is a pretty good addition for them in terms of, like, just trying to build that uh, quarterback room that they have there. Obviously, had Desmond King previously re-signed him uh, after playing pretty good there. And really, they just kind of built off of what they did last year, which, you know, was getting somebody like a Desmond King, um, like some of the other smaller contract guys they got, and then just kind of see what sticks. Uh, But overall, not like a super active free agency period, but OJ Howard is like a pretty decent pickup if you want to go there. Didn't lose much um, in free agency either at that point. So uh, I think they're pretty much just at the state of just kind of seeing what works. They re-signed Brandon Cooks to a two-year deal as well uh, in their kind of free agency, not an addition because he was already on the team. Um, But overall, I mean, I think... For a tanking team, if you want to call them that, I think what they do or have been doing really well is just signing guys to these short-term deals and, and seeing kind of what sticks, uh, a la the Desmond King contract. And they've gotten some productive performances out of uh, out of guys like that. So um, mm-hmm. just curious to see which one of those like smaller contract guys can maybe step up in this game. Uh, Justin Britt is not like a smaller contract guy, but obviously he's been a big part of what they do over there. Uh, Scott Quesenberry. Uh, you know, wish kind of we had him. Uh, I think, I, I think, think so. is actually starting for them now.
1: If I'm not think is
2: starting for them, ask,
1: yeah, I can double really? check. Uh, because are okay. starting center, uh, I forget his name first name, I think it's Britt. I think he got hurt. Uh, oh, in, got
2: hurt in the okay. first game, yeah. Okay, so now Kres- is the starter for them. Uh, you know, centers just can't stay healthy around the league, it seems like. Um, but yeah, so love tackles. I mean, it, yeah, or left tackles. Um. Yeah. Overall, I mean, they didn't add or lose a lot in free agency. Obviously, kind of one of these rebuilding teams. We're going to talk about the draft, like Tyler will, in a second. As kind of their primary method of addition, but mm-hmm. definitely have gotten some better performances out of these like smaller contracts that they've given out for sort of a team that is in a rebuild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, sorry. sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. no nah, you're good. I was going to say I like what they did from a veteran standpoint, right? Stephen Nelson. Mm-hmm um obviously uh jerry hughes as well and you know this this pass rush group like i mentioned um they're really doing some good things obviously obviously jonathan renard is is uh, a holdover right but jerry hughes has played really well ogbonia okoronko played really well that was somebody that i think Gavino really wanted the chargers to sign mm-hmm. uh to be that edge three because of of what his profile is so um they've got a lot of quality pass rushers um, you know, the Steven Nelson edition has really kind of freed up, uh, uh, a lot of options for Derek Stingley to follow people. Cause then they can just have Steven Nelson and Desmond King really kind of, you know, take over the other spots. So again, you know, the, <laughs> I'm not surprised that they hired Lovie Smith and then they go essentially all in on the defense. But, um, I mean, it's hard to argue with, you know, them being from one of the worst defenses in the league last year to a middle of the pack defense this year, which I think again, given where the Texans have been, you absolutely take that.
3: Yeah, really solid. I I, and Alex kind of previewed it. I do think it leans more into the draft. Like that's kind of what I'm more excited about for this team. But yeah, I mean another group doing a solid job. The Jaguars spent a lot more, but you know, the the Texans here spent some and you're seeing some positive returns, um, even kind of in low spending. I don't think they had a single guy they spent money on over like eight or nine million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. So I think they got Nelson for pretty cheap. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. All righty. We move on to the draft class. This is um, the best graphic they had for the Houston Texans. (laughs) Wasn't going to make my own. So here it is going through it. I didn't realize how much I liked Houston's draft, but they drafted Mm -hmm. a lot of good players. Like at least most of them, the first seven I had, I think is a top 10 player at their position. Um, Derek Stingley, of course, being their first guy that they took. It looks like a classic Derek Stingley college stat line where People are targeting him, you know, seven times a game. He's given up, you know, 168 yards so far in three games, but only like half the passes going as we are being completed. People are just trying to target him like crazy, but, and sure, There's, there's yards associated with that, but you know, he's been pretty good. I think he's got five pass breakups so far Uh, pretty solid there. He had a nice rebound game versus Chicago, which seemed to be the theme of their draft class. Everyone seemed to have a nice defensive rebound game versus Chicago (laughs) Um, I mean, he had more sacks that game than yards allowed. Granted, you know, yards allowed was zero, sacks was one. Um, You know, he's looking pretty good, but we'll see. Got a big test on uh, Sunday against the Chargers. We'll see what he does, certainly depending on whether Keenan Allen is fully available or not. Uh, Kenyon Green is actually tied with Spencer Burford for the best pass blocking efficiency in the league among rookie guards. So doing pretty solid there. A guy that I think we all had as interior offensive linemen too, if I'm not mistaken. So we Mm -hmm. definitely liked him. Um, If they took him at 17, I would have gotten it. If they traded back, taking him, you know, great for the Chargers, that is. Um, So happy for the Texans. Still like Zion, but there's that. Uh, Jalen Petre uh, has the second worst missed tackle rate in the entire NFL uh, behind, I believe, Rayshon Jenkins, actually. Really? Um, his missed tackle rate is 30.3, which is, I don't think I've ever seen a player have a, a 30-something missed tackle rate Um, playing as much as he has, but he did have a nice bounce-back game against Chicago. Uh, John Mechie, not playing right now because of I I can't believe I forgot which cancer he has, Um, but just just an awful situation there. Christian Harris don't know much about him. Uh, I'll skip over him because I didn't like him anyway to get to Damian Pierce, (laughs) uh, who I think ended up being my RB three because I had a one A and one B or RB four Stevens RB three or four, I believe as well. Um, Hasn't been the most efficient statistically, but I believe people feel like that's because he's playing for the Houston Texans. There's no quarterback. There's not much of a line. He does lead all rookies in rushing yards and has more than double uh, the next carries of the next back. I think he has like 46, 47 carries. The next one is Brees Hall with, I think, 21. So he's just an absolute rushing workhorse for this team, still getting, I think, exactly four yards per carry. So nothing explosive, um, but he's a workhorse. And I think he's going to be a good back in this league. I mean, I think we all liked him to a certain extent. I think Steven liked him the most. Um, Pretty solid guy. Thomas Booker rounds it out um, with Tegan. Quitoriano and Austin Deculus. I don't know much about the last two guys. Thomas Booker, um, I did really like. Um, so it's a really good group. Again, really the fourth week in a row, we've seen a solid contributing rookie class. Maybe not as much the Raiders because they hadn't played yet, um, but the Chief, Jags, and now Texans. Look at that. You draft players who are pretty decent. You get them contributing right away, and you see some returns. I would I would love to say that for the Chargers one week, but it is not this one. <laughs> Well, it was yeah, smaller, smaller. So you know what,
1: there is more. There we go. See. There we go. We're we're up to two starters now. Actually, mm-hmm. actually, technically three with Horvath, but let's go. Um, yeah, I mean, if John Mechie were playing, man, I th- I think you'd feel great about this draft class. So Petrie's missed tackle rate, I did not know, uh, but I think he has created like four turnovers or something like that. Had some sacks, I don't know. I mm-hmm. you know, so uh, Jorge, I think it was Jorge said earlier. Uh, Baylor not super focused on uh, tackling technique. It looks like, unfortunately, for us and them. Oh, but... <laughs>
3: didn't even put it together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So oh, I, uh, you know, I, I like this class, man. And I obviously, we'll see a lot of all of these guys. I mean, you're talking about starting running back. You're talking about their best corner. You're talking about their left guard, starting safety. So obviously, we'll see a lot of the rookies this week.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. No, this is a really uh, solid class. I am. Pretty afraid of Damian Pierce um, (laughs) and what he can do, um, you know, with how the Chargers kind of run defense has been, particularly after this week against the Jags. Um, Obviously, you have Kenyon Green. Uh, Derek Stingley, I mean, is going to be the really interesting one just to see uh, how he operates, particularly. I mean, I think we figure he would probably get most of the reps against Keenan Allen, Um, but I'll be curious to just see how those snaps go, depending on if Keenan you know how well i guess how many snaps the chargers are, are willing to give keenan if they're just willing to throw them out there for 100 of the snaps or if they're willing to dial it back a bit or split it a little bit more evenly um but we'll see how that goes a yeah, quick super chat from
1: uh, solo he said i had a nightmare that i was in an infinite time loop uh having to watch mike mccoy called halfback draws for danny woodhead on third and goal like he used to uh yeah, that's a that's a tough that's a tough nightmare, man. i I'm, for all
2: the the shit we've been given the coaching staff. I'm glad we're not dealing with that kind of stuff. I I had a nightmare that Mike McCoy beat the Chargers by 28 points last week. Oh shit! <laughs> I forget about him beat on that. Stance. Oh oh oh! <laughs> <laughs> it, oh
3: it, to his credit, Lawrence looks great. So. He's the quarterback. Uh, I coach. think
1: that's. I think that's all about. Dumb. Yeah. I oh mean. yeah. I'm <laughs> like, Mike McCoy
2: was the fucking Peyton Manning whisperer. Now he's the Trevor Lawrence whisperer. My ass. Like.
1: <laughs> oh man, I the Jaguars like as a casual fan. Man, they're a fun team. Like they do a lot of fun stuff on offense, a lot of fun stuff on defense. Um, you know, they're they're a fun team. As much as we
2: hate I, to see, I, it. I get to watch back to back weeks of Jags football because they're playing the Eagles. Oh game. yeah. No. Yeah. You need them by 28
1: or something. God, (laughs) (laughs) oh man, that'd be funny! All right, we'll get to our uh victory formation segment here. This is our conversation, uh, that we have every single week that, um, are the things that have to happen in order for the Chargers to come out victorious on Sunday. So, uh, I wrote about this on LAFB earlier today, I've talked about it on Twitter. For me, the Chargers, if they are going to win on Sunday, they have no choice but to establish the run game. I know that people hate running the football. They want to see Justin Herbert cook. I don't care. You have to run the football, and I don't care if you're in a negative game game script because with this offensive line, with these running back issues, you have to get the run game established because I'm sitting here watching the film And while you don't have to be a good running team to be an effective play action team, you have to be a capable running team. And right now these defenses do not give a shit about the chargers play action game. They are not biting on any sort of play action fakes. And to me, this is the primary reason the chargers offense is struggling because they are so heavy in the play action game. And it's the only way they can act. They can access the deep parts of the field And if you are not having a decent rushing attack, you cannot do play action concepts, especially the ones that are trying to access the deep parts of the field. So uh, if you want to talk about problems on the offense, I understand there are concerns about the play caller, concerns about the lack of speed. The biggest reason the Chargers offense is struggling right now is because they have the worst rushing attack in the league. And, you know, this is something that has to change going forward especially as you're dealing with uh, talent deficiencies along the offensive line. Your quarterback is not healthy. You have to establish the run, and I don't care how you do it. I talked about this uh, earlier today on Twitter. The Saints, when Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi were there, obviously Joe Lombardi was not the play caller, but he was there. This is his offense, right? They had an extra offensive lineman in the for jumbo packages about an average of 15 snaps per game over the previous four seasons that Lombardi was in New Orleans the Chargers have done that eight times in three games eight so you're talking about a decrease of 13 times a game so uh you have to be able to run the game in this you have to be able to run the ball in this game and going forward so that to me victory formation key to victory whatever you want to call it have to run the ball What's your jumbo lineup look like? Uh, I think that you, if everybody is healthy from this point on, I think Will Clapp would be your uh, sixth offensive lineman because he did that in New Orleans. Uh, Actually had about 125 snaps as an inline tight end in 2019 as that same kind of uh, player. So to me, I think Will Clapp's he's done it a lot with Brendan Nugent and Joe Lombardi. Mm -hmm. I would give him that role again. If Lindsley's out. If Lindsley's out, then you're probably doing Storm Norton, which he's a better blocker than Trey McKitty and Gerald Everett. I don't. Jesus.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right about needing to get this run game going. However, they want to do it, go for it. I really do not care. Let me see if I can pull up Arjun's graph real quick because I don't think people are understanding. That seems mean, but like how bad Austin Eckler's kind of been so far. Um, yeah, give me one second to pull That's it up. Concerning. I don't know. It's very difficult for you guys to see if you're watching or if you're listening. I apologize. But um, if you're wondering where Khalil Herbert
2: is, because you're Alex, he's at the top right over here.
3: <laughs> oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, if, They, you
2: know. they could have drafted that guy, I think. Maybe one year. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, now, obviously,
3: very small sample size this year. I, I guess not small sample size, but it's three games. But Austin Eckler is down here at the bottom left corner where you would normally see a Larry Roundtree or even a 2021 Joshua Kelly. There's uh, Austin Eckler in terms of EPA per rush and rushing yards over expected per rush. There's Austin Eckler at the very bottom left. Yay. Steven, you were talking about is particularly watching Austin Eckler. You think it's more of an issue of him forcing the issue too much and not just trusting that a four yard gain is a good gain. And he's just trying to do look for some sort of home run or something.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of comments, some of which by Arjun, um, some of which by other people in the chat that Austin Eckler has washed. I don't think that's the case. I think you still see the explosive playability, right, especially as a pass catcher. To me, it's just the mental decision-making is not there. You know, I see him constantly trying to bounce runs as opposed to taking a three-yard gain that maybe, hey, you break a tackle, maybe you, you lunge forward and you get five yards instead of three. So I... I'm worried about the decision making. I, I think you are are hopeful that he's able to to bounce back from this, but I th- I think he he's not used to the rotation, and so he's getting fewer snaps, and so he's trying to force the issue and say, hey, like, you know, you're only going to give me ten carries. I need to be great on those ten carries, and it's just like, you know, you need to kind of sit back. And allow the game to come to you, and and take those gimmies. You know it's okay to hit a to hit a, a single or a double. You don't have to always hit the home run. So, um, I'm in favor of of giving Joshua Kelly more snaps. I said this before, um, but Austin Eckler needs to like figure out how to stop forcing the issue so much.
2: Yeah, I mean, we can kind of like talk about other solutions, like giving Kelly more snaps, it, you know, or like giving Sony Michelle some share, starting Isaiah Spiller, or you know, just not having him be a healthy scratch. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the the Chargers' run game this year is completely determined by how Austin Eckler plays. I mean, like in in reality, and so if if he you know continues what these first three weeks have been, then the Chargers are. Ceiling as a bottom five or bottom ten rushing attack, right? And and that's the reality right now. They're thirty second in the league, Um, and and the stats show that, the video shows that. Like whenever you watch these games, so you know they just need to get more out of Austin Eckler. Um, I don't know what percent of it is just like forcing the issue versus he's washed. Um, I don't totally agree with Arjun there either, but uh, I, I it just has felt like he is a little bit a step slower and you just wonder how much of the build up from his usage last year um, is, is kind of contributing to where he is right now. Um, so that's kind of the one thing that I worry about long-term, but obviously, you know, the, the Chargers run game just won't work if Austin Eckler is, you know, as, as broken as he's been these first three weeks.
1: Yeah. So like I said, to me, it just feels like a decision-making thing. I, I don't think we'll, we're ever going to get to the point, right. Where Eckler's is like, you know, one of the elite EPA per play and rushing yards over expected category. But if he can get back to where he was last year, obviously that's a huge win for them. So, and I, I'm going to say, man, I think I thought Sony Michelle was good on Sunday in the, in the few mm-hmm. runs that we uh, were able to see him. So this team, like they have to make some changes for sure, because, so much of what they do is obviously based out of the Shanahan scheme. And it's a lot of, hey, we're Sean Slater, Matt they're Corey Lindsay, like go be athletic freaks. And, and again, I, I, I love Jamari, but he's not that. So they're going to have to adjust from a lot of outside runs to a lot more inside runs, which to me is why you bring in more blockers, you bring in more tight ends, uh, because you're going to do a lot more inside zone, a lot more split zone, a lot more duo, a lot more counter and be able to kind of play to the strengths of this unit at a higher level. So um, there's some some schematic adjustments for sure, but Eckler just needs to let the game come to him, take the easy runs, and it'll eventually improve there. And then, you know, get Joshua Kelly more involved as well. So, um, you know, if you are heading into these games, expecting to be an 80% passing team, 20% running team, you're going to get Justin Herbert injured, man. it, It really is just that simple because, this offensive line is is not prepared to pass block that frequently. Um, you have to run the ball. I'm not asking for a 50-50 split like Anthony Lynn's wet dream, but I need like a, a 55-45, 60-40 split going forward. And like I said, a lot more bodies in the box, um, more tight ends, more offensive linemen, and, and just start being more physical. That's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah.
3: No one's going to like to see that. If they go for three and a half yards a carry, we're gonna hear about conservative offense, but like you have to try. I not force the yeah. issue, but we're getting to a point where you might have to because some of these teams are going to get very, very, very good at rushing the passer, and the Texans mm. even kind of are. Um, you have to find a way to run the run the ball.
2: All right. Uh Alex, you wanna go next? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just getting easier offense. We can talk about like getting the run game started, but it just feels like, particularly in the second halves, when you know uh, teams have kind of adjusted to what the Chargers doing, the scoring has slowed down. We saw this uh, to a degree in the Raiders game, obviously in the Jacksonville game, obviously in the Chiefs game, and it just feels like the Chargers are just kind of overthinking some of these things. Um, Jill Lombardi, I hate to say this, but the DeAndre Carter end-around thing, its we got to can it. It's not going to work when you're down 21. Um, so I don't know. For me, it's just that the Chargers have to start just generating more easy opportunities. Obviously, getting Keenan Allen back is you know huge uh, in terms of what he can open up for other receivers on the field. Um, but it just feels like this offense has kind of just been overthinking things with their route concepts, you know. There's also a degree of underthinking there in terms of like the amount of packages that the Chargers have, but uh, I I don't think the solution is that like you have to do anything crazy or like you need to have I was about to say like Jalen Guyton deep balls, but John Hightower deep balls I suppose at this point now um, like I don't think you need a certain amount of deep shots and like have to have this ratio like people want, but um, it's just got to be a little bit. Different than what it is now, and just focus on like getting your guys open and scheming them open as opposed to like just hoping Mike Williams is able to make some like contact catch down there or you know, I- exhausting poor Gerald Everett, you know, <laughs> like 90% of the snaps. Um, so, I don't know for me, it's just that this offense just needs to be a little bit simpler than what it has been and a little bit more reactive to. Uh, what opposing defenses are doing, particularly in the second halves of these games.
3: Well, I would love to hear about them being schemed open more, but I I genuinely don't know if Mike Williams can physically get open. I didn't watch the Jacksonville game, and it sounds like he was, so I'll withhold until then. But uh, of the games that I've watched, I I literally do not recall an instance where he was schemed open, for one. That's a Joe Lombardi thing. But two was literally able to get open on a corner or a post. Now, if you count open as I can go get the ball and you can't in the end zone, then sure, he's been <laughs> open. Um, and you know, on some curl routes, sure, he does
1: get the balls. So I suppose that is open in the NFL, but um, I don't know. Yeah, also- I think open it, open's obviously different for Mike Williams than it is for Keenan Allen and stuff like that. But I, yeah. I did think that there were some times where Justin just did not really trust himself to kind of get the ball to Mike Williams I I shared a couple screenshots on Twitter but um, you know I feel like if Justin were healthy there would have been a lot more deep shots in that game because Mike Williams was open for Mike Williams standards on on a few uh, go routes so um, I think like I said people are gonna like kind of hate the offense that you're going to see over the next few weeks and you know, that's probably not going to be great for Joe Lombardi's Twitter reputation, but I this offense just needs more freebies. Like they are trying so hard to um, hunt explosive plays that I think it really is just kind of hurting their overall efficiency because that's just not who they were last year. Like the whole point last year was just be efficient, be efficient, then take deep shots when you were asking or then, you know, get an explosive run from time to time. And, and they happened. Uh, I just feel like so many people on this team on this offense are trying to force the issue. And that includes Joe Lombardi. Like I think Joe Lombardi is trying to do too much. You just need to get back to basics, get back to the fundamentals. And I think your offensive efficiency will overall increase like Alex is talking about. But um, Mm -hmm. I just, if you're going to, if you're wanting them to just like chuck the ball deep, it's not going to happen. And I don't think it should happen with this offensive line, with this receiving core, with the way that Justin Herbert is feeling physically at this point of the season. Yeah, I'd
3: agree. And my key to victory was going to be, oh, go spread or go empty. And I really considered it because you're getting, like in the offseason, you can see all the combinations they get to do. And sometimes you see, you know, Parham, Eckler, Mike, Keenan. And it's like, who's stopping that? Like, How do you possibly stop that? And they certainly do have the guys to be able to do that. And I was going to absolutely talk about this. Then I asked Arjun, because I always have to, what was their EPA per play ranking in the league on empty and spread last year? Uh, it was negative, uh, and it was 26th was their ranking. Uh, so I guess they're not good at that. So I'm going to throw that all, all together as an idea because apparently, now they might have to do it out of necessity, and technically yeah. that might be better than the alternative, um, taking you know more deep play action shots or whatever. I don't know. They got to try something to me. It really just comes down to the most fireable offense for Joe Lombardi so far, which isn't entirely on him, but it's that this offense is completely out of sync. I just want to see them play where if you have 10 components, because I think Herbert's pretty much always on, but even if he isn't fine, 11 components, there's two that always just something is off. Not that every play is perfect. Asking for a perfect play is, is ridiculous, and at least not all the time. But there's always something. I'm watching routes where dudes just like run into each other. Why is Trey McKitty running into Mike Williams on mesh? I don't know. Why is Andrew Horvath picking up the wrong guy when they're trying to do some fullback lead, you know, inside zone run, outside zone run, or whatever? I don't know. Why is Herbert off with Josh Palmer? Why is Mike Williams running the wrong route? Why is it, like it's just there's always something with this offense. And to me, like you can talk about deep shots, I don't care. To me, I mean, I, I care but I'm not going to, that's not my main complaint to me. It's just Joel Lombardi does not have a cohesive unit right now. Part of that is injuries for sure. No Corey Lindsley hurt, Justin Herbert, no Keenan on no Donald Parham. He can't execute his vision yet. Although it should be pretty close outside of Rashawn Slater on Sunday. I hope with the guys they have back, but it's just been out of sync. It was to start the year last year and it did get better. And I need to see them do it again this week because the chargers still, even without Rashawn Slater, I do think have a lot of talent to be able to put up and, and do more than they did last week and do more than they did the, the previous two weeks, even without Keenan Allen. But there's just something with the execution that has been off. I think the penalties are mostly down throughout all three games compared to last year. But still, something's off. And if, if, if it's just because Keenan Allen is back and everything's good now and Corey Lindsay is back and everything's good now, great. But they have to execute. It's, it's such a big... You know, general broad thing like oh, they just have to execute, but they literally do because I think that is holding yeah. them back more than anything else. Right, you can talk about play calling, you can talk about deep shots, you know, injuries, whatever. I really just think the execution is the biggest problem right now, and if, I think, and then then you can develop the rest of your offense from there.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that, and that's to me, it's part of you know forcing the issue, you know and whether that's Eckler, you know, choosing to not be a a super clean running back or or Herbert or Williams, like it just feels like everybody's trying to do too much, man. It it really is that simple to me. And whether that is, you know, somebody, you know, they're too worried about like offseason expectations, or they're too worried about like playing for jobs or putting up numbers or whatever, like just get back to the fundamentals of what made your offense so efficient last year. And, and, And I mean, that's easier said than done, right? But you know, Arjun pointed this out. I think it might have been Tej, Um, shared this graphic of you know uh, obviously executing explosive plays, which is not the Chargers' forte right now, um, at least in the run game, and avoiding mistakes. And the Chargers were poor in both of those regards. So it's not just that they're not explosive enough; they're also committing mistakes at a higher level than they were last year. So again, some of that is regression from Matt Filer. Some of that is health, like Tyler is talking about but they just need to get back to basics control what you can tr- control what you can control and just be like a professional like it, it sounds easier than than done of course and, and it's easier for us to see here and criticize that but there's too many mistakes going on and it's not just like they're not explosive the mistakes are happening at a far greater level than should be happening in a second year of an offense All right, we'll get to our key matchups here uh, pretty quickly, and then we'll get to some uh, bold predictions as well. Tyler, your uh, key matchup of uh, Sunday's afternoon game.
3: Yeah, this kind of got worse the more I researched (laughs) it. Uh, I'm specifically going to mention the Sear Adderley versus the run, which isn't much of a key matchup, but I, I think it's been a bit of a concern. The Chargers DBs have played almost 300 run defense snaps together, Overall, they have zero run stops among all of them, hmm. which is bizarre to me. They have Wait, stops. Including Durbin? Yeah. According to Football Focus, this year, they have zero run stops. Wow. They almost have more missed tackles than actual tackles, and they have almost as many penalties as they do. Now, in the run game, in the pass game, sure. If Football Focus is wrong, then they're wrong. But currently, they have... Zero, and yes, that is including in James, which did surprise me. Nasir Adderley, I thought, he right now has more missed tackles than run stops. He's got zero run stops. There are 59 safeties in the league with at least one. He has two tackles in the run game right now, and there are 62 other safeties in the league with more than two. I don't really have another way to compare Adderley to other safeties, so I'll just use his profile focus run defense grade. It's 88th out of 111 behind Jonathan Abram. Um, which is never a, a good thing to be on. Don't want to be in that company. <laughs> no, not at all. He to me, it's just he's in, in the two biggest plays we've seen the last couple of weeks in the run game. He was M.I. on those. I think it was worse and a more fireable offense against the Chiefs and against the you know the Jaguars. I don't think they were in the greatest personnel grouping to face that jumbo fourth and one. Mm-hmm. But still, on those two big runs, he was M.I. and he's he's he was on the side. Um, of each run, like he could have done something potentially better, but you see him getting washed out both times or not reacting fast enough. And, you know, the Chiefs one, I think, should have been a touchdown, but he sat himself down. And the Jaguars one was a touchdown. You need your last line of defense in this year Adderley, to be better than that. Not only has he not been great so far, he hasn't been productive either. Like it's not like, like Jalen Petre, for example, yeah, worst missed tackle rate in the league, but I think he has three or four run stops, if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong. Nasir Adley. Not that that's primarily his job, but if you're going to run this defense, you got to have someone who can come down to hill and tackle. We saw that plenty last year, and I think I saw it in the off too. It's like Nasir Adley, here we go. He's going to take that step forward, and we haven't seen it yet. And now just watching him on two big run plays, huge run plays. One for the Chiefs and Jaguars didn't really matter in the end, but he's just missing on those occasions. So I need him to step up. And yeah, I it, it just. It's not like him versus Damian Pierce, I guess, is the matchup, I suppose. But I just need him in general to show up against the run because the Chargers, my worry going into the game last week was the Jaguars were going to test the the, the Chargers run defense, which I didn't think is good was as good as it maybe looked the first couple of weeks. Jaguars committed to that. I think almost got six yards a pop. Texans could do the same thing with Damian Pierce. So I hope Nassir Adley shows up against the run this week.
2: Yeah, Uh I mean, I'll just talk about the run game, like in general, for me, it's the defensive line versus Damian Pierce, Um, especially in a world where Joey Bosa is not going to play. Joey Bosa, well, obviously one of the highest chargers graded run defenders on the defensive line, and you're replacing it with Chris Rumpf. Um, how's that going to go? I mean, Joey Bosa has a 76 run grade on the season, Chris Rumpf 50.9. Um, so, I mean, big drop off there. And then you're just kind of looking at some of the other run defense grades. Um, and then you realize, oh, Austin Johnson is the only person that's in green, you know? So, I mean, for, you know, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day kind of had like a pounce back game against the Jags a little bit. Um, but aside from, you know, that the chargers really just haven't gotten any push against the run. Um, from any of their other defenders on the defensive line who are not named Khalil Mack or Joey Bosa. And so in a game where you're not going to have Joey Bosa, in a game where Khalil Mack is probably going to be quadruple teamed, um, they just need to get better run defensive performances uh, from everybody else uh, on the defensive line. Otherwise, this is going to be a long day against Damian Pierce. Um, And I just worry that he can do a little bit of what James Robinson Obviously, was able to do kind of against the Chargers last game, and that has to be the major concern, I think, for the team going into uh, into this one when considering like the Texans' offense.
1: Yeah, uh, for those who are saying, you know, obviously, Damian Pierce did show up on the injury report today for the Texans. Sounds like he's still going to play. Uh, I listened to Lovey Smith's press conference, um, so a little banged, banged up, and uh, they still have Rex Burkhead. So I think you're still <laughs> talking about the same thing. So. Um, to Tyler's point, I did want to mention this, uh, football outsiders obviously has a great of uh, a ton of great information out there. Um, you know, obviously the chargers really kind of focused in on the front seven aspect of, of this run defense. Um, and they have the, you know, this breaking down of course, by, you know, front seven, second level open field in terms of run defense. Right. So the chargers are, 10th in stuffed percentage which is is meaning that your defensive line is getting after which is really really good um they are 12th in second level yards allowed which again is very very good however they are 31st in open field yards allowed which means that once a team gets to the third level they are not very good (laughs) so I'm surprised it's been that bad. I, I picture a lot of more run stops from Derwin James. And I think I saw that Samuel jr has had a few. So that was surprising, but uh, the data does back that up and it's not just a PFF thing. So um, have to play your keys. And, you know, talking about that fourth and one man, that was so deflating. It, it really was essentially the, you know, that broke the game open, unfortunately. And when I watched that game on film, the way that Kyle Noy played that, that snap to me that's all on the second level defenders who uh were bryce callahan and asir and they were like literally right there next to each other and they took themselves out of the play completely so um have to be better in that regard too um all right so my key matchup i mentioned it earlier man it's chris rumpf versus and Oy. chris rumpf and Oy versus titus howard so uh Khalil Mack obviously been a very productive pass rusher for this team he moved around a little bit more without Joey Bosa but he's rushed primarily against left tackles so far this season obviously having a very good season 12 pressures four sacks one quarterback hit uh, 18.2 pass rush win rate which is is very very good obviously you want to be uh kind of above 17 is really what you're shooting for in terms of being a really good pass rusher and so so far so good for Khalil Mack um we mentioned Chris Rumpf having a zero percent win rate. Overall in the season, he's at 10.2, three pressures, zero sacks, one hit. Um, Calvin Noy hasn't really been a full-time edge, so his numbers are a little bit different. Um, but two pressures, zero sacks, one hit, sixteen point seven pass rush win rate. And again, most of that is you know, blitzing as an off-ball linebacker. So um, these two players, man, they're gonna have their hands full, whether they're rushing against Laramie Tunsil, who – almost by default, you know, is is probably the best left tackle in the league right now because of injuries. But he's playing really, really well, man. His pass blocking efficiency rating is at 98.7. So he's like balling, like he's having a great season for them. Uh, and Titus Howard, who initially looked like kind of a bust, you know, his pass blocking efficiency rating is at 97. So these offensive tackles for the Texans, are probably their two best players on the team. Like, like being completely honest, these offensive tackles are really, really good. So I feel good about obviously Kalumak getting some wins and getting some pressures, but whether or not um Chris Rumpf and Calvin Oy are able to get pressure on the opposite side, really it, it could be victory formation for me as well. Because uh, you know, Davis Mills is gonna sit in the pocket, and if you give him time we saw last year what that can look like. Like he's a good quarterback. If you give him time, if you give him some separation from receivers Um, and so the Chargers have to be able to not allow that. So Calvin Oye, Chris Rumpf, one of them has to get pressure on, uh, on Davis mills on Sunday. All right, we'll get on to our bolt predictions here. Uh, Long episode, (laughs) obviously talking about the injuries for 30 minutes, but uh, hopefully at some point that doesn't become a thing. Um, Alex, your bold prediction for uh, Sunday's game against the Texans.
2: John Hightower, nine snaps, 150-yard <laughs> drop. 150-yard uh, drop? Oh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> you really had me going there for a second. I was like, yeah, let's go. John Hightower, draft. <laughs> I love that guy coming out of um, State, man. Okay. I think my actual bold prediction uh, – Okay, I'll say this is the game. I think J.C. Jackson gets his first interception. I think he, I think he does play, um, and man, let's let's play it up and say it's a pick six. I don't know, but I think Ooh. J.C. makes his first big contribution to the defense in this game.
1: What's his uh, status? Limited. J.C. was limited today. Uh, it sounds like he was doing well, so we'll we'll figure out tomorrow. Obviously, I feel like if he is practicing in uh, full capacity, then. We'll see if he plays, but like I said, I feel like he's the most uncertain of everybody else that is, is attempting to come back and play on Sunday. Gotcha.
3: Uh, my bold prediction, I will say the Chargers rush for 100 or more yards
1: off the left side of the line. Ooh, everything going left. I like it. I would obviously love for them to get... Hey, man, I'll take a 90-yard rushing performance at this point. If will <laughs> take give me 70 100, yards. I'll <laughs> take 70 <laughs> Oh, man. The the Texans have the worst run defense in the league, man. If you can't get it going this week, I'm just... I'm so concerned about that, but um, yeah. Alright, my bold prediction. Sounds like he's going to come back and play this week. I'm going Donald Parham touchdown in his first game back, so uh, the Chargers I have missed that. him. Chargers have really missed him down in the red zone. They've really missed him in general as the best blocker on this tight end group, so uh yeah, Donald Parham touchdown in his first game back. Awesome. I love it. If if Keenan and Donald Parham return, there was there were several
3: times in camp where the drive was literally Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen, Donald Parham touchdown. Over <laughs> and over and over again. So if they're both yeah. back, I mean, we could literally see an overhaul,
1: a complete change in this defense so, or offense. Yeah, I think, obviously, the more of these guys that come back, the better. I mean, it's only fair, man. It's only fair that we get all four of these guys back after losing Rashawn and Joey. It's it's only right. Yeah, won't lose anybody else after this. Thank God. Lock on wood. Lock on wood. Um, all right. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Alex, any uh, final thoughts
2: before we head out? um please win i can't we can't do another (laughs) lose to the texans podcast um we we've reached our quota on that after last year no more losing to the afc south in general i think i think we just need a chargers win here yeah
1: need it need a bounce back performance in the worst way possible uh tyler any final thoughts man um I still don't know if I'm
3: picking the Chargers to win this game or not. I'm not even joking. Those are my final thoughts currently. Oh, and gosh. if you feel like the Chargers are going to roll the Texans, I will defer to both last year and last week.
1: Uh, so I think I'll pick them, but I'm, I'm undecided. I mean, obviously a lot of that's going to depend on on who's back or not, but obviously if Keenan Allen, Corey Lindsey, Donald Pyram come back, I think you feel obviously much better about where this offense is headed. So, uh i'm hoping for a good game man i hope the chargers bounce back because tyler and i are going to be doing our first uh playback episode uh consider it the the gack cast if you will are going to be uh doing our version of the manning cast so we'll be uh hopefully having a good time uh live streaming that game to you guys i know uh the chargers game against the texans shocker is not in a lot of markets so uh if you are hoping to find a way to watch the game please join us on playback all you have to do is enter your tv provider information uh and you'll be able to uh watch the game with us i'm sure tyler's gonna have a lot of very positive energy uh on that on that playback show uh and then obviously we'll be doing our usual recap with alex and arjun after that fact so should be fun hopefully it's a fun sunday i'm 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 hoping for some positive vibes it's been a lot of negative energy over the last couple days and uh starting to turn into a little bit more positive energy for for, at least for me personally uh, especially after uh hearing about jamari so we'll see we'll see man i get peed either way there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and at some point we are hearing that they are going to potentially add access to game pass so those of you like Alex who watch uh, with international game pass potentially should be able to uh, use playback as well. So whenever that happens the three of us, will be doing the playback uh, as opposed to just Tyler and I. So uh, fingers crossed that that happens soon. Um, All right. That's going to do it for us today, guys. Appreciate all the uh, chats. Appreciate the super chats. It was a fun one today. Um, Hopefully you guys have a good rest of your week. We'll see you uh, next time.